Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. Come on now, turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians 12. It's one of the more famous verses in all the Bible, but it's a powerful one. Here we go. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Everybody say weakness. Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Stop. That's just a crazy thought right there. Paul's like, hey, I'm going to boast about my weakness. Can you imagine somebody walking into a small group? Hey, what's up? My name's Tyler. I'm a liar. Whoa. You know? Hey, what's up? My name's Tyler. I'm a gossip. What's going on in your life right now? You know? I ain't telling you, oh, it's not like I gossip about everything. You know, I mean, over and over again, instead of boasting about his big resume, he boasts about the realness of the brokenness of his life. I think the church would get really attractive if we did that. I think the church would uh, have people flooding through the doors if we started actually telling people about the real thing instead of a resume. Because the gospel is bring your weakness. Religions bring your works. Man, everybody can bring their weakness somewhere. Can I get an amen for that? Church is a weakness potluck. You know, what'd you bring your weakness today? Therefore, I will boast more glad about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight my weakness in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Everybody say strong. Paul said, I had it. I'm not going to cope with my weakness. I'm not going to make excuses for my weakness. I'm not going to hide my weakness. I'm not going to blame my weakness. I'm going to boast in my weakness. And what he's saying is I'm going to take my weakness I put it over here, it didn't work. I put it over here, it didn't work. I tried to hide it, it didn't work. I'm going to give my weakness to my God and see what he can do with it. And what I found out when I give God my weakness is that's when actually I get strong and God uses it for his glory. It's interesting. If you don't deal with your weakness, your weakness will deal with you. Oh, weaknesses are nasty. They'll steal from you. They'll steal seasons. They'll steal years. Been married almost 10 years now. My 10-year anniversary is this next month, April. Come on now. Shout out to my baby girl. She couldn't be with us today. She's at church uh, taking care of the home base. Uh, but I love my girl. Ten years, I said I wouldn't give any marriage advice until we were married ten years. I'm a month away. Everybody buckle up. I got a lot of advice. <laughs> Lots of advice. And so um, uh, uh, almost ten years, but she is Italian. And AKA, that means she's spicy. She's a fiery Italian, okay? And I'm like British, half British. My dad's born in England. So I'm stubborn. Take myself too seriously sometimes. And so Rachel and I have the biggest fights when our two weaknesses meet. When we're both operating our weakness, those are our worst fights, our worst blow-ups. And I'll never forget one of our worst fights. Uh, we were uh, going to go to nap on a Saturday. And I didn't want to go to nap on this Saturday because I was preaching the next day on a Sunday. And so I wanted to prepare my heart and my soul and my mind for the word of God because I'm a man of God. I told my girl, I don't want to drink that devil wine on Saturday. <laughs> Maybe on Friday, but not on Saturday. But she had friends in town, and she asked me, please, can we go to Napa and hang on with friends? I said, fine, I'll go, but you have to promise me that we're leaving at 4.45 p.m. I got to get home. I want to relax. I want to have dinner. I want to look at my restaurant one more time. Promise, 4.45. She's like, why are you freaking out? I'll, we'll leave at 4.45. I'm like, time out. If any of you have ever heard me talk about my wife, she's an amazing woman. She's great, powerful, sweet, funny, but she's on time to nothing, okay? She is late to everything. She's one of those people is like, what is time? What is clock? Like, she don't even have a clock, okay? And so, and so she, uh, she promised me, 4.45. So, so we get to Napa, and I'm sitting there at our last tasting, and um, uh, it's 4.40. I'm like, okay, she got five minutes. She better be ready to go in five minutes. 4.45 happens, nobody's moving. 4.50, nothing happening. I give her one of those signals, like, and she looks at me like, what? Is there something in your eye? Something other? I was like... 
should have worked on my sound like, caca, caca. You know, like, when I caca, we got to go. And um, so she didn't get it. And so 20 minutes later, we end up leaving five something. And I get in the car and I'm just, I'm boiling. I mean, my pulse is racing. And, you know, Rachel's in the car. And she's like, da 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 da. She's like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. And that's the universal sign of marriage of everything. You know, and uh, so she goes, well, what's wrong? I was like, you told me uh, and you promised me we live at 445 and it's 510. It's almost 25, 30 minutes, you know. And she looks at me and she goes, you're going to blow up over 20 minutes. And I go, it's not the time, it's the principle, you know. And then this one escalates. She goes, you're acting crazy. You want your spouse to act crazy? Tell them they're acting crazy. And then I go, oh, I'm crazy. I'm crazy because I want to leave on time. I'm crazy because I'm upset you disrespected me. I'm crazy because you don't care about me preaching tomorrow. Oh, I'm crazy, you know. It's one of those moments. So we fight back and forth a little bit and gets kind of quiet. And my biggest, I'd say two of my biggest weaknesses. One is I'm impatient. One of my wife's biggest weaknesses is she don't know how to say the word sorry. It's not really, she's like, saw, saw. She just can't say the word, Okay. <laughs> So I don't know how to say sorry. Me, I can say sorry real easy. If you don't like today's message, I'm sorry. All right, whatever. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. You know? Um, my wife almost thinks I say it too quick. Like, oh, I'm sorry. She's like, do you actually mean it? You said it way too fast. You know, like, I'll be like, I'm sorry. She's like, no, you, like, we should have some time to fight before you say it. No, I'm good. I'm sorry. And so, but her weakness is not saying sorry. So I'm stubborn. She's not saying sorry. So then we're like quiet for the whole hour of the car ride. Just angry. I'm, just, I'm stewing. I'm like, she doesn't care about me. And, you know, she's, she promised, but she really, she basically lied to me. I'm just, I'm just, oh, just stewing, stewing, stewing. About 30 minutes in, I gotta, I'm, I'm, I gotta, I'm preaching the next morning. I'm like, I got to think about my message. I got to get calibrated. So I'm thinking about my message, and I'm preaching on grace the next day. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, this is terrible timing. I wish I was preaching on the law and stoning somebody, you know. But no, grace is what God gave me. And so I remember telling Rachel at the very end, I said, you know what? I said, we just, we just sat here for the last hour, angry at each other, and I'm sorry. I, I flipped out over 20 minutes. It just, it just bothered me. And eventually, you know, even Rachel and then she goes, I'm sorry. I, it was important to you. It should have been important to me. And, and I was like, what did you say? She said, I said, I'm sorry. I'll say it again one more time, girl. <laughs> so I said, I'm sorry. Okay. Miracles. Um, and... Uh, and I looked at her, and it was one of those moments where we, like, we had a really sweet like, reconciliation moment. We were making up, and we like, said one of those, like, let's never fight again, like one of those things. And then we were talking about it, and we're like, man, like, a whole hour of our life, like stolen. Like, we didn't talk. And then I started thinking to myself, I was like, that's just an hour of what, that was stolen from us because we were mad at each other, and we didn't deal with weakness. What about people who allow years to steal from them because they don't deal with their weakness? They just let their weakness just dominate their life. And because, because of that, relationships and friendships and church things happen, and they just walk out instead of reconciling. And so not an hour or car ride stolen, but seasons are stolen. And my hope today for you and I is as we look at Genesis 29, it's an amazing story about this uh, family, Laban, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. And you're going to see all of their weaknesses just on display. Pound for pound. Scripture for scripture, you will not find more messed up people in the Bible. I mean, this thing is, there's no, you're not going to find any hero in Genesis 29. You know, Jacob's not a hero. Laban's not a hero. Rachel's not a hero. Leo, they're all weak people making weak decisions and everybody's being hurt because of it. And years are being stolen. 14 plus years are being stolen because people are weak. But what happens when people graduate from weakness to strength? Tell the message of the God of my weakness. And if the church actually becomes what it's supposed to, God will take your weak things and make you strong. 
Can I just share a little thing I didn't share in the first service I want to share with you? Is in the, in the first century church, Rodney Stark writes this great book about how the church rose. There's four things that mark the church in the revival of the church. Integrity, sympathy, chastity, and generosity. And so this Roman culture, this Greco-Roman culture had never seen this thing called grace and forgiveness. They would be killing Christians on a cross or stoning them, and they would be forgiving them and praying for them. Because in the Roman culture, it was an honor and shame culture. If you bothered me, I, if you hurt me or hurt my, hurt my name, I could come over to your house and I could bust a cap and it would be all good. The culture would be like, that's allowed. They offended you, you could kill them. But the Christian's like, no, no, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to love you. And it made the Romans go, wow, where I'm weak, you're strong. And then they were generous instead of taking things. The, the Christians gave their body to practically nobody and their money to practically everybody. The Romans gave their body to everybody and their money to practically nobody. So a girl who had daddy issues that would just want to sleep around would meet a Christian guy, and for the first time, she'd realize a guy who didn't want her for her body, but actually want her for her. And so her weakness was meeting a strength for the first time. And if I could double down, man, the church has got to be strong where the world is weak. The, world, the church has got to be strong in the places of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope. Man, the world is weak in that. Do you want to be strong today, church? Will you bow your heads with me? God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing at Fountain Church. Oh, what a special place. God, we love you. May your words, oh, may your words soar. May my words fall to the floor. Oh, beautiful Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your word. Show us what you want us to see. Open our ears. Pray for soft soul. God, we love you. Oh, we thank you. You're such a good God. And everybody said? Amen. So Genesis 29, get your Bibles there. I want to give some context so you know what's going on. Genesis 29 is an amazing chapter. Jacob is this person that's been promised that the seed of Jesus is going to come through his life. The Messiah is going to come through his life because of Abraham. And he moves, leaves his family because he ripped off his brother for the birthright. And his brother's going to kill him. And so he comes in this new family. He goes from dysfunction to dysfunction. And Laban is the head of this household. Laban is dysfunctional. Rachel is dysfunctional. And then Leah is dysfunctional. I call this, if I could summarize Genesis 29, it's Laban's plot and Leah's lot. Laban has this plot to exploit all the weak people for his gain, and Leah's the weakest one of them all. I'm protective over Leah in this story. Leah's this girl in the story that she was just born into a hard life. She wasn't born beautiful. She wasn't born with things that culture said you needed to have to succeed, and so I'm, I'm protective over her. And the reality is in this church, all of us are Leah. If you want to know who you are, do you ever, do you ever play that game? Like, which one would I be in the Bible? You know, I'm David, you know, I'm Daniel, the spirit of excellence, because I'm excellent. You know, like we read the Bible. Oh, I'm, I'm Nehemiah, because I'm a builder, you know. No, 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 y'all Leah, okay? I'm Leah. We all got ugly parts of our life, okay? We all got this lot that was given to us and wasn't perfect, and we all got broken because of it. I'm going to double down on this thought. When I was born in this world, I wasn't born a Christian. I was born into a home where my dad was very abusive. Now, he never laid a finger on us, thank you, Jesus, but he was unbelievably very abusive. He was beat up by his grandpa and his dad, so it just kind of passed on to us. And so he would cuss us out. I remember being four or five years old. I let the mayonnaise out, and my dad literally scolding me and dropping F-bombs at me and telling me that I was a piece of da-da-da and I was a stupid little kid. How dare I do that? I wasted the mayonnaise. And I remember as a five-year-old kid hearing words I know he shouldn't be heard spoke to me, and it started to break something inside my heart. It just, I mean, it started ripping me up. And so imagine that year after year, five, six, seven. I remember age 14, I remember saying, I hate my dad. I don't want to live here. He, he's, he's, the, he's the worst human I've ever met. So if you live in that kind of lot, it's going to give you what I call daddy issues. Can we agree with that? So I mean, I got ripped up for, for, from my childhood. And then I remember going to junior high. Man, junior highs are mean. Can we agree with that? Yeah. Yes. Elementary school, you can wear whatever you want to wear, you know? You know, Tasmanian Devil shirts, Super Mario. You show up to junior high, like, what are you wearing? You know, like one of those things. Um, 
Well, when the Johnson gene, what happens is when you get sixth, seventh, eighth grade, we just gained a lot of weight. I was about five, six, and I was an overweight uh, big kid. I was kind of like, kind of, uh, kind of vibe. Oh, okay, laugh at that. Okay, I'm gonna tear. Okay, it's happening again right now. You hurt my heart. Laughing at my. Okay, okay, my child. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And so, um, and so, I remember um, playing shirts and skins in basketball. I love basketball. I remember just being made fun of for the first time that I was overweight. And it like, it bothered me. Like, oh, it just pierced me. I remember I faked an ankle injury uh, because I didn't want to have my shirt off anymore. And then whenever I had to be skins in basketball, I'd always act like I was, I, I was hurt. Summers, I would wear a shirt, or a shirt when I'd swim because I didn't want anybody to make fun of me because of one word that just absolutely pierced me and made me feel uh, horrible about myself. So it was my junior high years. So let's take off another tear. And then I remember dating my first girlfriend and trying to find somebody who could be my safe place. And in high school relationships, they're drama. So I remember being wounded from that. And I could go on and on. And then I finally go to church, get saved when I was 17, and uh, started working at a church. And uh, I remember uh, my first pastor was a good dude. And then I, I got hired at another church. I moved to L.A. And my executive pastor was one of the worst humans I'd ever met. I thought, surely in the church, people won't hurt me. Surely nobody would talk mean about me in the church. You've been in church for a day. Can everybody say that's going to happen? Amen. We forgive everybody real quick, okay? And so uh, my executive pastor, remember walking around the corner, and uh, he grabbed me by my shirt, threw me against the wall, and started cussing me out and telling me that, how dare you I talk to the senior pastor? You don't talk to him. You talk to me. You're not allowed to talk to him. You talk to me. And I, he was just had got hired, and he was trying to create this alignment where you're not allowed to go to the senior pastor. And I, I, the senior pastor was asking me a question about how my day was. I remember crying, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's my boss, like my shepherd. He's, I mean, I, I just started losing faith in the church, started getting hurt by the church. And, and at the end of these days, I was about 25 years old, and this is all that's left of my, my heart, if I could put it that way. And if I could be honest, all of us, if we came up and said, share your story, we'd all end up somewhere in this place. Some of you with maybe less, some of you with more. But the reality is all of us were given a lot, and our lot is broken. Our lot is weak. And throughout this little sermon, I, I, I pray that... As weaknesses are magnified in this story, they will be exposed in your life and you'll say, God, I don't want this anymore in my life. Because if you allow weaknesses to stay, because really what happens is, is the Lord allows us to see things in our life, not to shame us, but to show us that he can remove it and restore something better. And so I want to show you in Genesis 29 the weaknesses of mankind. The weaknesses of broken people, hurting people. And as they get exposed, you're going to say, I don't want that one anymore. And at the very end, we got a lot of good news about all the strengths. Are you ready for it? Okay, so i got to give some preface it's going to be kind of sad in the beginning. We got to go through the train wreck before we get the restoration. We got to go through the bad news before we get to the good news. So I got to show the bad news first. Is that okay? All right, Genesis 29, open your Bibles. Here we go. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay because we are relatives. Tell me how much uh, your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. The nicest way to say she was ugly, okay? She's ugly. Leah's ugly. Some theologians think that she actually was cross-eyed, like actually that, because she had a similar figure of Rachel, but she had no sparkling eyes, that she had something wrong with her face, okay? And so Leah had no sparkling eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Stop. We read this, and it's like, oh my gosh, he loved Rachel so much. He's working, willing to work seven years. He doesn't even know Rachel yet. We, we, we um, exegete scripture through our American lens of chick flick movies. The reality is, is a broken kid whose father didn't love him, saw a girl he wanted, and was infatuated with her, and was willing to overpay for anything. A, a, a bride price during that time was 30 to 40 shekels. You would give to the father saying, thank you, you want to honor the family, 30, 40 shekels. He said seven years. 
Average salary was two shekels a month. He's willing to pay 136 shekels for one bride, four times the price. Okay, he's willing to overpay for something because he has such a big want in his heart. The weakness of wants, watch out. If you want approval, woo, you'll overwork yourself for approval. You'll be at your job 10 hours, 16 hours, just waiting for your boss to recognize you once. You'll overpay at work. Woo, if you have daddy issues and you want to be validated, you'll go on one day and you'll overpay on that day because you want some man to give you something that God's only supposed to give you. There's a reality. When you have the wrong wants and you give your wants to the wrong people, you will always overpay. That's the first weakness we see in the story is Jacob brings his wants to the wrong person, Laban, and he overpays for it. Let's keep going. Agreed, Laban replied, I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. He goes, agreed, I'd rather give, you, uh, give her to you than anyone else. It's interesting, Laban says, her. He doesn't say Rachel's name. Right here, I want you to catch them real quick. The world's deals is always this, you must lose for me to win. And Jacob knew the world's way. For him to win, Esau had to lose. He, uh, the bowl of beans, still in the birthright. So Jacob knew, I got to mess over Laban to get mine. Laban, though, here's the deal. Jacob was slick. Laban was slicker. He, he, he met somebody who knew how to do deals a little bit better. Because, oh yeah, I'll let you mar marry her. The fine print, no Rachel's involved. Right there at this moment, Laban is plotting on Jacob's ploy. And if I could just submit this to you, you better be careful about making deals with the world. You better, the world will never share the fine print with you. It's like one of those menus at a restaurant that has no price on the menu. And then you order and then you get the bill. You're like, uh, I got to take out a second mortgage on my home. I can't pay for this. Thousands of dollars. Well, that's how the enemy sells you everything. Hey, say yes to this. Oh, it's going to cost you your marriage. Say yes to this. It's going to cost you your life. The, the, the world will always mess you up. The world goes from bad idea to bad idea. The world, the world reminds me of my little childhood buddy named Mikey. I call him Bad Idea Mikey. When I was hanging out with Bad Idea Mikey, he led me from bad thing to bad thing to bad thing. I remember being like six years old. He came over my house and he had snorkel, snorkel gear. He's like, Tyler, let's go snorkeling. I'm like, Mikey, we don't live on the beach. We're in Piop, Washington. He's like, let's go snorkeling in the swamp for frogs. And I was like, good idea. Let's go. I'm six. So we go snorkeling. My sister catches us snorkeling. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, we're snorkeling for frogs. She's like, there's disease in there. You're going to get sick. She tells my parents. My parents are like, what were you thinking? Like, Mikey had the idea, like, stop hanging out with Mikey. He always had bad ideas, you know? And so Mikey was my neighbor, though, so I was always hanging out with him. And so Mikey comes over, you know, a few weeks later, and he has batteries. He goes, let's smash batteries with hammers. I was like, you're a genius. What's in these batteries? So we just start smashing them. Black stuff comes out, acid. Well, what happens is that I hit one really hard. Some of it pops out, hits Mikey in the eye. He died. I'm kidding. <laughs> like, dang, this got real. No, 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 he didn't. Uh, he started crying, had to go to the ER, got a little, uh, little scar on his eyeball. It'd be hilarious. This one's a sad story, bro. And so, uh, so Mikey, um, Mikey, uh, Mikey and I hang out for a few years. Lived there in that house for about three years. The worst one ever, though, is we were watching Mary Poppins. And uh, Mikey goes, Tyler, you seen what I'm seeing? It was when Mary Poppins was flying with an umbrella. He goes, maybe you could fly with an umbrella. And I was like, maybe I could fly with an umbrella. And so I remember getting an umbrella, and I get on top of a chair, and I jump off of it, and nothing happens. And so Mikey goes, hey, 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 maybe you got to get higher. Get on the picking table. So I get on the picking table. I take a running start, and I think, nothing. And Mikey goes, man, something's not right here. Okay. Um, he sees my house. He goes, you need to jump off the house. I was like, you're a genius, Mikey. Let's do it. So I get my ladder. I go on top of the house. And I get on top of the house. I'm like, I could die. 
Like, I'm good. Like, like, and I was like, oh, actually, you know what? Let me get my mattress. I'll put it on the ground, and then I'll jump off the house on the mattress, and I'll be good, you know? And so um, put the mattress down, and I remember jumping. It's one of those moments where everything just stood still. And I was like, what have I done, you know? And then the, the umbrella mushrooms up. I fall down, bust my ankle, start crying. I'm bawling. And, and my dad comes out because he hears me crying. And I was like, ah. My dad's like, what happened? What were you doing? I was like, I was trying to be like somebody I saw in a movie. He's like, we're trying to be like Batman? No. Was it like Superman or something? No. Who? Mary Poppins. <laughs> Proud father moment. I'm trying to be like Mary Poppins. I remember my parents saying, we got to move out of this neighborhood. Uh, a lot of bad kids. We got to get Tyler away from them. We got to move him away. I remember we moved away from Mikey and never hung with Mikey again. It was amazing how much trouble I didn't get in not being around Mikey. And the reality is, is that when you get saved, you become what I call a citizen of heaven is what the Bible says. And so you have maybe not geographically moved, but you have spiritually moved. You got a new heart, new tendencies, a new mind, new promises, a new strength, new, uh, new kingdom ideas instead of worldly ideas. And so instead of saying yes to worldly ideas, you start saying yes to kingdom ideas. Hey, just maybe, just maybe you should surrender to be free. Maybe just maybe you should forgive to be free. Maybe just maybe you should start serving to be refreshed and you start living in the kingdom. And these ideas actually lead to life instead of the world ideas that lead to death. So the second thing we see is just the weakness of the world in this story. It's going to steal from you. It's going to steal from you. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. That, theologians have a hard time with that statement. It's so crass. This guy who loves Rachel, on, uh, after seven years, he walks up and goes, hey, give me Rachel so I can sleep with her. Can you imagine saying that to a father? Can you imagine being the bride and seeing your, your, your fiance say that thing before your wedding day? That's how you want to start the wedding day? The reality is, is the weakness of our past. We see Jacob's past seep into his verbiage and relationships. He is a broken man because of his father. And so he sees Rachel not as something to be cherished, but as something to be his to fulfill a hole in his heart. And so this weakness of the past, if I could be honest, if you don't deal with your past, you'll bring it into every situation and you'll look for a church, a person, or a spouse, or a career to fix something that only God can fix. And you can, you can see people's past in their, in, their, in, their, in their verbiage. So many people are either pre-living or reliving, but not a lot of people are living. Talking about what happened 10 years ago, seeping into how they see the church, how they see people. But if I could just encourage you real quick, do not let the, your past mark your life. If so, that becomes your greatest weakness. So we see that with the Jacob, uh, Jacob. Let's keep going. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Stop. This always messed me up. I was like, how in the world did Jacob not know that this was not Rachel? Like, you know, on our wedding days, I'll never forget, you know, the day I got married, you know, they call it first look. And so I walk around and Rachel, she, she has the veil and she goes like this and she turns around. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there she is. You know, and then they do the pictures. And so I know who I'm marrying that day. Okay. And so it's not like Jacob had like first look and it was like, hey, it's me, Leah. You know, it, was like, it wasn't that much. I was like, whoa, 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 I'm marrying Rachel. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's not what happened. What happens is the bride always wore a veil the whole time. She wore a veil over her face. And so Laban dressed up. Uh, Leah in a veil. And then Jacob, there's a lot of partying at this wedding. It's, it's for weeks. It's a celebration. Jacob turned it all the way up. He was drunk. And so he goes back to his place and Leah is given to him and he sleeps with Leah. Let's keep going. When Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob, Rachel at Laban? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Next thing we see is the weakness of the American dream. One of my favorite theologians says this is we all wake up to Leah uh, in our life. 
And what he means by that is the world, just like how Laban tricked Jacob, is that you will one day wake up in your life, and if you don't know the Lord, you'll wake up disappointed. Jacob had woke up disappointed. You could say, man, I, I just thought, I thought for sure that a career would be the thing that would satisfy me. But 10, 10 years in, you just wake up disappointed and realize the career did not satisfy you. You'll say, well, a marriage will be the one thing that fixes everything. And then you wake up years in your marriage, and you wake up disappointed in your marriage. It is not your spouse's fault. You brought too much of a burden into your marriage thinking that would be the thing that would fix it. And so the reality is you see the weakness of the American dream. We always talk about bad idols, but we never talk about conservative idols. I remember being you know, a young kid. I want to have a house, pick a fence, little bulldog, have a wife, and have a little kid just run around the wraparound deck. And what, I, what I'm saying when I say that is I'm saying this will be the life that will make me happy. I've made a life, an American dream, and the reality is if I get all those things without God, I will wake up eventually disappointed. That would be my Leah. Do not allow the American dream to be your aim. Come on, let the kingdom be your aim. Let's keep going. It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied, but wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Stop. This one's for free. You don't do sin. Sin does you. Some of you think you're managing sin. Some of you think that you actually are in charge of reaping what you're in charge of sowing. No, no, no. Let me just tell you something real quick. Um, Jacob's story is fascinating. This moment, he doesn't push back and say, no, 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 I'm not going to work another seven years. He goes, hey, you're going to work another seven. Uh, I tricked you, and now here's Rachel. You've got to think of how Jacob's processing this, this moment. He's going, man, when I, was, when I wanted the birthright, I dressed myself up in some fur, covered my face. I went into my dad's place where he couldn't see. And I switched and told him I was somebody else. I said I was Esau, when I was, but actually I was Jacob, and I stole the birthright. And now I'm reaping the same thing I was sowing, because sin does me, I don't do sin. Now Leah had her face covered, switched the, the kids, basically, and gave them to me where I couldn't see it was dark out, and I slept with the wrong one. I got ripped off just the, way, the same way I ripped somebody else off. It's an amazing picture that you see here real quick. Not only that, he pays, ends up having to pay 336 shekels for Rachel. Can I just tell you real quick? Until you deal with weakness, it will stay around as long as you want it to. It is one of those people that never want to move out. As long as you'll have me. 10 years, I'll stay 20 years. It's time for you to tell, tell your weakness you've got to move out of my house. Come on now. And so Laban gave Rachel the servant, Billah. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her uh, much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have a children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. Stop. Right here we see the weakness of our idols. The thing that is driving Leah is just to get man's approval. And she goes, if I have a kid, now in the historical context, you have a kid, it is the lottery of all the lotteries. Winner, winner, chicken dinner is the greatest thing a female could do at this time in this history. She got it. And she's saying, I just, if my husband will love me, then I'll be better. The reality is, is, is when the Bible says to watch out for idols, I don't think we actually understand what an idol is. I want to describe an idol to you real quick. An idol is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. Like a job is a good thing. And if you have a job, it's a good thing. You enjoy it. The Bible even shows that, that don't let good things become an idol throughout Scripture. You see that in Deuteronomy and the Ten Commandments. So if you lose a good thing, you're sad, you're upset, you might even cry. But if you lose an ultimate thing, you don't even want to be alive anymore. When you lose an ultimate thing, you've lost your purpose and your identity. And if, when you start to wrap good things and make them ultimate things, and you say to yourself, if I lost this, I don't know what I would do. You've made something an idol in your life. Let me, let, me, let me describe it in a different way uh, to help you out a little bit. 
Uh, another way to look at idols is what your life is pointed at. It's what your life's aimed at. And so what, what um, uh, Leah's saying is, if I can just have Jacob say he loves me more than Rachel, then my life is worth something. That's her, that's her ultimate aim. So her life's, her life's aimed at the wrong thing. The Bible says that delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So aim yourself at the Lord and then watch everything in your heart that you desire actually follow you instead of you following it. Uh, my buddy's a pilot and he told me he loves being a pilot, but it's kind of stressful because there's a lot of rules and a lot of things you have to do well. He told me that for every 60 miles you fly, if you're one degree off, you're one mile off your destination. So if you're flying from here to Dubai and you were just one degree off, you would end up in the ocean or the Middle East, the wrong destination. So that's just one trip. Imagine being one degree off for your whole life. Where would your life end up on? And what Leah's, her trajectory right now is her aim is approval of man. And because of that, she is going to be flying aimlessly for the rest of her days until she says, no longer will a man be my idol or approval be my idol. God is my ultimate sacrifice of action. And then everything else follows it. Make sure you're not aiming your life for the wrong thing. Can I get amen for that? Amen. So that's the weakness of idols. Let's keep going. Next one is, uh, she goes on to say, soon she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. Stop. Can you imagine being at these uh, baby showers? Oh my gosh, you're pregnant again, Leah. What are you going to name him? You know, David, mighty warrior. You know, and she's like Simeon because I'm unloved. Cool. All right, sweet. I can't can't wait to meet the little guy. He sounds like he's gonna be a super joyful kid. All right. You know, it'd be like a weird thing to have. Uh, you go to this baby shower and she's just so d- depressed. But every woman in that house, the only thing they want is to have a kid. And she's having what they have, and she can't even see it. The ultimate lottery for a female at that moment would be having a kid, and she doesn't care. She doesn't see it because here's what happens. We see the weakness of our wounds. If you allow your wounds to uh, name a season, you'll never enjoy the season you're in. God could give you the lottery win of all lottery wins. He could deliver you to Fountain Church, a great church, but you won't be happy because some wound has stolen it from you. You could have the person that you're supposed to marry fall into your lap, but because you have wounds, you don't even see it, and you name it the wrong season. If you don't allow wounds to be dealt with and you allow the weakness of wounds to stick around, you'll come into a season and name everything Simeon. And basically what Simeon is, is I just don't have enough yet. I'm not loved enough yet. I'm not seen enough yet. It's the weakness of our wounds. Let's keep going. We're almost done with the bad news. I'm sorry. We're going to get to the good news, I promise. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. I love that she goes, surely this time. Surely, three kids. I'm like the warriors, back to back to back. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Like, she is producing, and Rachel can't. This is the biggest desire for my man to have a seed, and she's doing it over. You're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. Surely he'll love me now. It's amazing that it took her three kids to realize that it would never be enough kids for her to find her affection from Jacob. And all of you, you have a surely in your heart. Surely if I get this, surely if I, I know, I know, I get it, Tyler, I get it. God loves me, I love God, but surely if I become a billionaire, I'll be happy. Surely, I get it, Tyler, but surely once I find a spouse, no, no, find your surely early and realize it will never satisfy you. It took years for her to understand her surely would never work out. Get your surely and throw it out. We see the weakness of our surely. And then last but not least, we're, we're going to go on the good news. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, now I will praise the Lord, and then she stopped having children. It's interesting, Leah is using this verbiage, and it's spiritual. There's, you know, just a common Hebrew word that would just mean God. That would be a general God, lowercase God. But then there's a specific word, Yahweh. 
And somewhere along the way, she was talking to Jacob and heard about Jacob because Jacob got saved in the chapter four. And when Jesus becomes a ladder, he has that salvation moment uh, in his dream. So Jacob had been saved. So he probably told Leah about God and about this God who is also a ladder and the Trinity and Jesus. And so she had been saved. She knew about Jesus because Judah literally means to, to praise God. Now, you look at the word praise, it means proskenile. It means that your life is literally bowed and pointed towards something. And it's almost like you could just picture her going like this. My life was pointed at the approval of this world, and now I'm going to point it at the one thing that can actually take my weakness and make me strong. I'm now going to find my identity in my God and not in people. I'm now going to find my worth not in people but in my God. I now am proskenite. I'm pointing my life. Now I'm pointing my life. I'm naming my season Judah now. I have a life of praise. Now, let's move on to the good news. I want to give you five good news things that we learned from Genesis 29. Five things that the, the, what the gospel, uh, the ultimate good news, allows for us to encounter now. First one is this. Is God works with weak people. God works with weak people. you gotta be, you got to be thankful for that. You, you read throughout the Bible, very rarely are you and I killing it and God going, great job, I'll just stand over here. <laughs> the reality is, is we make weak decisions and weak responses and weak dreams, and then God comes in and gives us bigger dreams, tells us to th- how to respond better and how to love better. But this is what I love. God, you can, you can pick me because I am Aaliyah and you're Aaliyah. But we don't have to stay in the place where Leah was broken. We can stay in the place where Leah becomes a praise worshiper and a Judah person. Come on now. So God works with weak people. Second thing, God works not just with weak people, but he works in your life through weak people. Through weak people. Now, you need to understand something. Jacob is a swindler, and he is not a godly man. And God uses Laban to be like spiritual sandpaper in Jacob's life. You'll start to see Jacob change also as he moves forward. Because the reality is, is that Jacob is starting to see his future in Laban. Laban is a gross human who is stealing, and I'm going to be the same as that type of person for the rest of my life? I don't want that. It's amazing. Three, times, uh, three types of um, uh, ways God refines us in the Bible. Uh, through fire, through the vine dresser, or through the Father. So you'll see those three throughout the Bible of how God tries to shape us to make us everything we're supposed to be. And so the refiner, it's fire. The vine dresser is actually pruning. And we live in Napa, so you've probably seen this, but I remember being at actually a winery one time, and they were pruning the vineyard. And I watched the vine dresser prune the vineyard, and I literally, literally almost yelled, Stop it! You're going to kill it! Because they were cutting it all the way down to the nub. And the reality is, is the vine dresser told me, Hey, if I don't cut it, I'll kill it. If I don't prune it, it will die. And the reality is, is you and I, we don't want to be pruned, but uh, can I tell you something real quick? Let God prune your weaknesses out of your life. Let him cut them down to the nub. Because here's what I know, when you're down to nothing, God's up to something. And the reality uh, for you and I is that we would love to be our own pruners and our own vine dressers, but we do a terrible job of it. We bring around dead corpses and dead dreams, and God goes, I got to snip it, and you think it's going to kill you, but I'm actually, if I don't snip it, it will kill you. And then you got refiner. Probably my least favorite one, if I'm being honest. It's the way God allows us to be refined through fire. God doesn't make bad things happen, but he allows them to happen to refine us. And so... If you could just picture a fire in front of us, and I'm cooking a steak, and if I was the best chef on the planet, I would know exactly how long to keep in the fire, to cook it perfectly, to be enjoyed, and to take it out. I wouldn't keep it in a second too long, and I wouldn't take it out a second too early. And what God's doing with Leah in this story, and Jacob in this story, is saying, I'm going to keep in the fire, not too long to where if I kept it in there forever, it would burn it to death. I'm going to keep it perfectly in there so I can actually make something perfect and beautiful. When you're in a fiery season, God is not punishing you. He's actually perfecting you. When you're in a fiery season, God is not destroying you. He's actually cooking something perfectly. So when you come out of that fire, you love better, you live better, and you serve better. 
God will use weak people and he will use fiery seasons. Come on now. Third thing uh, God is, he got, God picks weak people. Out of everybody in this story, if you told me, who's Jesus going to be birthed from? I wouldn't pick the ugly girl named Leah that nobody wanted. But God says, I picked the most rejected one to have my seed come through. Leah will be forever known as the one that brought the Messiah through. It's amazing to me that people disqualify themselves in church all the time. You read the Bible, ooh, you're not disqualified. You read the Bible, you actually might get impressed with yourself once in a while. I didn't didn't kill nobody. All right, I'm doing pretty good. David, I mean, God loved David. He was committing adultery and killing people. Hey, I'm not too shabby, huh, God? You know? And then you read the Bible, actually, no, I'm pretty messed up too. It's the reality of what happens. God picks weak people. That should encourage you. That's some good news. Uh, Next one is, uh, God makes the weak strong. God makes the weak strong. This is a big deal. I'll invite the uh, pianist to come over, the ministerial, to um, make this sound more holy and anointed. So I uh, I worked at McDonald's my high school years. Could have worked at the movie theater. Could have worked at the Gap but I love me a Mickey D double cheeseburger. I'm gonna say it's my favorite burger on the planet. I feel judged. Nobody's gonna say amen to that. Who loves, who loves In-N-Out in this, in this room? I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get the line. Don't judge me. I just love McDonald's. I don't love In-N-Out, but hey, to each their own, okay? I wanted to work at McDonald's. You could have worked at In-N-Out, okay? We could still be friends. So working at McDonald's for two years, and I, I don't know about you, but when I was employed at McDonald's, uh, I fantasized about being boss one day so I could fire whoever I wanted to. <laughs> I'd be in the back like, if I was boss, I'd be firing you, I'd fire you. You have no idea what I'm thinking right now, and I'd fire you too. And the reality is because there was a guy named Matt I'd work with, and Matt would always take 40-minute breaks. He was only supposed to be gone for 10 minutes. He'd leave me in the grill by myself, and it was during the time when there used to be 39-cent hamburger day and 49-cent cheeseburger day. And so I remember getting like 20 burgers ordered, and I'm back there trying to make 20 cheeseburgers you know, and get them out of there. I'm like, where is Matt? And then I'm, I remember this girl named, uh, we'll call her just Chatty Kathy. She'd walk, and she wouldn't talk with me. She'd talk at me. So for four hours of my shift, I'd just be hearing story after story that was just so boring. And then I went here, and then I did this. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, please save me, God. And then there's another lady. She was, she, was, she was an older lady, and I was 16, 17 years old. And she'd always say to me, she says, oh, I can't wait for you to be 18. Oh, I think you are just, and I'll be like, this is assault. Like, uh, no, 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 thanks, lady. Miss inappropriate. Hashtag me too. I mean, get away from me, okay? Like one of those moments. And so, so I'm working with McDonald's and I'm thinking, okay, I, well, if I became boss one day, I would circle them all in, in the foyer and I'd say, hey, I'm the new boss. Before we start work today, I want to do something real quick. Miss inappropriate, you're fired, okay? Uh, Chatty Kathy, you're fired. Uh, Matt, you always take too long breaks. You're fired. Fire, fire, fire. And everybody was like, oh, I really like working at McDonald's now. It's a fantastic place. Here's what happened with Leah. Her whole life, she allowed men's approval to own her, shame to own her. She would hide her face from things. And finally, she said, no longer will shame be the thing that marks my life. Shame, you're fired. No longer will men be the where I find my approval. Men finding my approval, you're fired. My dad being in charge of my story, always plotting for me, you're fired. I got a new one who writes a better story. His name is God. I'm hiring him. Fired, fired, fired. There's something about you and I realizing that we could fire shame. We could fire addiction. We can fire our worst moments. They're not the things that mark us. We actually have the authority to fire them. So I want to finish with this thought. People ask me all the time, you know, when they're um, uh, with me that aren't Christians, what's the difference between Christianity and all the other religions? And without blinking, I was like, grace. They're like, what? Grace. No other religion, you won't see it. Buddha says strive. Jesus says it is finished. Everywhere else you'll see religion. Everywhere else you'll see performance. Because if we could break down this story, really of Genesis 29, it's basically having this type of weakness 
And it's the picture of the veil coming over the weakness to hide it so you can get in rooms where you're not supposed to get into. And so man made religion. And religion was this thing as if I could follow all these rules, it would cover up all my weaknesses. And then I would look like somebody really important and somebody really impressive in the church. God did not create religion, man made religion. And then the world created performance. If I could do these amazing things in a job, if I could have an amazing family, if I could have an amazing house, if I could perform at a high level, then nobody would see this anymore. They would just see my performance. I want the veil of performance to hide my weakness. So the church has religion to hide the veil, hide the weakness, and the veil of performance the world does. And finally, Leah goes, I'm sick of it. I'm not going to have performance. Kids be the thing that covers my weakness. I'm not going to have a veil get me in a room so I can start actually having something I'm not supposed to have. I'm going to allow my God to define what's strong in my life and make me strong. Let me read you the verse, 2 Corinthians 12 again, because Paul got it too. Let's read it with a new eyes and a fresh ear. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weakness. I will, I will go uh, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness and insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's almost like Paul is saying, hey, I, I acted like Leah for a little bit, but now I'm throwing the veil back and saying, this is me. I, I got brokenness in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm not done yet. I'm not okay. You're not okay. He loves me anyway. I'm a work in progress. But no longer am I going to hide it because that's exhausting. And now that you see this thing that's happening to me, a year from now, you're going to see my daddy wounds get healed and I'm going to get a little more whole. You're going to see my church wounds get whole. And in about maybe 10 years, you'll start seeing this again that what God intended for my life. There's something to be said about somebody seeing your mess and then God take your mess and make it a masterpiece. Stop hogging your weaknesses and your messes and allow people to see them and allow God to restore them and then God get all the glory. Will you bow your heads with me? I don't know if you're first time or second time in church, but I always got to ask this question with every head bowed and eye closed. If you want to say yes to Jesus. Salvation moment. I, I was in church just like this and I raised my hand and it changed my life forever. If you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell. Yes to blessing, no to cursing. You want to say yes to salvation with every head bowed and eye closed. The Bible is very clear. If you want to be saved, you must confess through your mouth and believe in your heart. Okay, you must respond to Jesus is what it's saying. And the way you're responding is you're raising your hand with response saying, I want Jesus today. I no longer want my weakness to mark me. I want his strength to mark my life. So on the count of three, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I want to catch my, I want to pray for you. On the count of three, one, two, three. Raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray for you. I see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Come on now. I see you on my left. Hands all over. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you. God, we thank you for the ones that said yes to you today. And God, I pray for just the church. Oh, we must be strong where the world is weak. May we be generous where the world is selfish. Oh, may we be kind where the world is angry. God, may we show them a new patience, a new empathy. God, a new type of forgiveness, a new grace that, that would just reach the barrier in a certain way. God, bless Fountain Church. Oh, thank you for such a great house. Lord, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? Thank you, Fountain Church. Much love. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.